Into the Void, a deep dive music podcast into the best classic and current heavy music. I'm sitting up here on sunset. And let's meet your hosts, veteran music journalist formerly of Metal Edge Magazine, Dave Manick. Host of the online music show, Listen to the Lord on Rapture Radio, Lord Gates. The music industry insider with the encyclopedic knowledge of all that is heavy, Wild Bill. And our gear guru, veteran musician, J-Man. Yeah, man, so uh, there's a few things that before we get into the meat of the of the podcast today, there's a few things that I wanted to hit on that uh, happened between our last podcast and now one of them, uh, Bill and I, I don't know if you, I don't know if Gates and, and Jay checked it out, but Bill and I both watched the uh, the Down uh, live show mm-hmm. and I have to say, man, that was, I was so freaking impressed with that show. Um, mm-hmm. I was impressed with everything about it because first of all, it's the best production I've seen from any of these live stream shows. They had like probably at least seven, eight, nine, ten cameras going, mm-hmm. tons of angles. Um, and the big question mark for me was how is Phil going to sound? Phil sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he yeah. sounded freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would have to give some of that to, um, <clears throat> I think, I don't know, maybe one of you guys even mentioned it, but like in your monitor, yeah. uh, the in your monitor played a big role. in that. I think if, you know, with him having that, um, he didn't have to push himself too much. And because of that, I mean, they sounded freaking awesome, man. I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. Dead on spot on. I love even the banter. The banter was great. Like when Phil's like, Oh, send this song out to Australia. Australia, love Australia. <laughs> He's like really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But he, yep. they all seemed like in real high spirits. And dude, the best part was the the intro stuff. All mm-hmm. that cool footage, the club right. footage, and right, the videos. Right. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what'd you think, Bill? I thought it was good. I like yeah, all the all the intro stuff was from toward for down two. Mm-hmm. That was what they played before the band played because they didn't have an opener, did they? Who went with yeah, Jay? We, we, we went up. We all went. Three, we, we all went, went up to, to Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they didn't have an opener. Remember that they played right. that half an hour of fucking like Kirk getting taped to a chair and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Kind of shit. That is great. <laughs> they did hilarious. that. I thought. I thought Phil sounded and looked fucking great. I think that, I think mm-hmm. they all were in top notch. Jimmy, he makes it look fucking flawless, man. Like it, there was no, I mean, I was up here pounding some beers watching it, but it was flaw. I mean, I didn't hear any fuck ups. You know, no, I, I didn't either. Band that hasn't in the pocket the whole time. Oh man, dude, the, the one the one song I was most apprehensive about was Jail. And that yeah. may have been my favorite song of the whole night. Mm-hmm. I know they recorded it the day before because they had to, because they just had too many moving parts. They had the mandolin guy and they had the keyboard. But I mean, as far as replicating that, that song from the album to live, oh my God, dude, I was, I was goosebumps, man. They killed jail. It was so freaking good. My only complaint was that they didn't play, um, anything much off of any other album because they played all of Nola. They didn't do much outside of, you know, that. So it was limited to what they, what they were able to play from the other albums. Back to the sound of that, you know, the, the fact that the uh, technology today enabled it to be such clear, high definition sound as well as video. I heard layers, which allowed Kirk and uh, Pepper to totally jam out. And I was thinking to myself, 
Leonard Skinner, man. These guys are yeah. Leonard Skinner yeah. of our time. Yeah. They can riff within the song off each other. Always find the way always find their way back. They play with different tones, they play with different guitars, they blend well. They accompany each other in a total jam way that you know, Southern Rock you can see is a big part of what they do. I loved it. Yeah, Great. it was badass. That's the band they can grow old with. Remember they were talking about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah that was cool. That. I like the way they said that. So this is the band we can grow old with. And it's fucking true. Like think mm-hmm. of those guys put out rock an acoustic and roll, man. album. They put out an acoustic album. They put that out. Fuck, dude. That's gonna who doesn't want to hear that? Not, a couple yeah, exactly. songs I've heard is fucking awesome. They're just a legendary rock and roll band. They're that's Heck what yeah. they do. Well, I I don't we're, we're shifting gears a bit because what we're talking about today is um it's different a little bit different style of music but still of course hard rock and um you know I was telling uh, Gates and Jay before and Jay knows this because I've I've peppered him with like random questions about the hair band type era for forever and he's just like dude I didn't realize any human thought about this kind of music like like you do like you're just I go down these like insane <laughs> rabbit holes dude yeah I, definitely I, definitely hair bands if you could just document how many lists you've made over the years of every sub genre sub question okay yeah there you, you go. got like an excel spreadsheet <laughs> yes <laughs> this is the list I'll be getting to <laughs> shortly he's doing uh, it over there <laughs> information what goes on what goes on that brain of yours dave (laughs) i have i have thought and uh and analyzed the the era of of the the whole 80s basically the whole 80s hard rock era and analyzed what happened and you know what we're going to be getting to eventually is is since we have the feature interview um with alex from circus of power we're going to be getting to you know especially what we're talking about is there were these, you know, there were, I have four different eras of the bands that came, the hard rock era uh, bands that came out in the 80s. But the people that got the shaft were the bands that came out in the fourth era, which I'll get to, which is like the bands that came out around, the, that got signed and their album came out around 89, 90. And there were a bunch of really cool and interesting bands that came out at that time, Circus of Power being one of them. And they all got screwed um, because, just by timing. Um, and what's, what's the irony is like, the irony is that, as you see the graphic right there, mm-hmm. um, you know, the irony is that on September 29th, 1991, the video for uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit debuted on MTV, and everybody credits that with literally being like the end <laughs> of the hair, whatever you want to call it. It's the 80s hard rock genre, the hair genre, whatever you want to call it. That people credit that being like literally the end. It was like, it wasn't even like a, um, a slow kind of like fade out. It was like, you know, screeching halt tire, like just done. Like if your hair, if you're associated with that in any way, shape or form, you are freaking gone. Persona non grata. Get the hell out of here. You right. had your time. Nobody wants you anymore. Get the fuck out. Well, and check, the, check this out. So remember like two weekends ago, Gates sends out a trivia question to the group and he says, what, give the list of uh, albums that came out on this day, September 20, September 24th, 1991. And I responded, I was off a year and they're like, oh, check this out. It was Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Actually, Pearl Jam came out a few months before, but yeah, you're, and one, and um, the other one was uh, The Cult. Same date, the Cult album came out. Oh, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but right. we were at to pick. Uh, what's that? No, it was uh, this uh, ceremony with uh, Wild Hearted Son. And, um, that came out in 90? 91. 91. 
Oh, September twenty third, nineteen. Our woman came out must have been eighty eight or eighty nine. Yeah, because they tore with Metallica. Eighty seven. Well, right. Back to Dave's point, Dave, drop the knowledge, brother. Well, here, sorry. So, I'll get into the, all the eras of hair metal. But what what was interesting about? All right, so I'll I'll go through it real quick. So bear with me on this. So, okay, so you have four eras in my mind, and I've thought about this a lot. So if anybody wants to challenge me on this, go right ahead. I'll debate you for an hour. So you had <laughs> all right. So the the eighties the eighties hard rock era was born. Um, in, in basically the early, in 1980, 81. So these, some of these bands had formed before that time. They were inspired by Kiss, New York Dolls, Van Halen, but they started, these bands started an entire new genre that would become massive. And these were the bands I include in this list are Motley Crue, Quiet Riot, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Twisted Sister, you know, Doc into a degree, Rat was also there at that time as well. So these are the people that were there first. You know, they were the ones that were around in 80, 81. They mm-hmm. started the whole thing. Then you had era number two, which were the bands that quickly followed on the heels of those bands and the success of hair, the hair metal genre, which are Cinderella, Poison, White Lion, Tesla, LA Guns, Great White, Faster Pussycat. Okay. All then right, you had, then you have the third wave, which are, a, you're, now we're deeper into, you know, the genre and now it's exploding. So there you got Warrant, Bullet Boy, Skid Row, Extreme, Dangerous Toys, Britney Fox, Winger, Kicks, Enough's Enough, and a few others. <laughs> Like, and I love almost I all like, those. That's bands. that's, that that's the worst. That's that that's fourth. That <laughs> fourth quarter. That fourth <laughs> quarter. I just I would just take all those bands. Dave, repeat. Just, the, can I get the fourth quarter repeated? No, that was again. the third gotta, quarter. That's the third, right, third quarter. quarter. That's the third, no, that, quarter? That, that's third again. quarter. I think it's better in the fourth. Time. So here's the fourth. But here's the fourth quarter. And the fourth okay. quarter is the real interesting one to me, is because <laughs> these bands were not doing the the teased up hair anymore. They were not doing the spandex. They were not doing the makeup. What they were doing was it was a totally different aesthetic. It was like the biker gypsy metal kind of vibe. But this, a lot of this. <laughs> so, but this was like in the fourth era. These bands weren't like inspired as much by Kiss and uh, and you know like in New York Dolls. These guys were more inspired by like ACDC and the Rolling Stones. They had more of a gypsy. Slash, oh, that's the good era then. That's yeah, the so good era. this is what we're in this era. You're talking about. Like Circus of Power, Lynch Mob, Junkyard, Badlands, Saigon Kick, Rhino Bucket, Bang Tango, Lynch, you know, Love Hate. These are the these are the bands that were like Oh, they, Love they, Hate. Yeah. They had moved on from they were trying to separate themselves from they were more inspired, like, again, by the Stones, ACDC. You know, they weren't doing the makeup. They weren't doing the teased hair. They were more the biker rock leather and jeans. Yeah. So they were kind of inspired by Guns N' Roses, who was the anomaly in this era. You know, they were the band that was the total anomaly that came out in 87 that didn't fit in any of that. They, were, they set up their own thing. But it's these bands that I find most interesting in the fourth era of, of the hard rock 80s era because they got – these were the bands that were actually trying to do something different, but they got lumped in with all the other stuff. They got killed or expunged by grunge in uh, September 1991. And to me, that, they, that wasn't fair. Like what happened to bands like Circus of Power and Lynch Mob and Love Hate and Badlands, Saigon Kick, like those bands didn't really have a shot. Most of these bands, as you'll hear, had like two albums and then they just got buried. And it wasn't because they weren't good. It was because it was like, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like they just got tossed aside with all the other bands that were signed and came out in the eighties. So hey Dave, so let me th- ask you this. Why do you think, where did that style for guns and roses come from? Now, I think, I, yeah, I, that's, I mean, there, there's a little, I to wonder, me, there's somebody told them to do that. 
somebody must have done something or said something to them like, Hey, and if they did, I don't know, maybe you know more than me, but I'm just throwing this out there. But I think somebody told them, listen, fucking hair metal mm-hmm. is going to be going out. So you guys got to get more butch. Yeah. Start looking more like this. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very interesting point. And it's kind of hard to imagine that a bunch of guys strung out on heroin were smart enough to see what was coming down the pike. But they saw four years before it happened, they saw something, like you said. I mean, I absolutely agree with that because – they did not do, aside from Axl Rose's hair in the Welcome to the Jungle video, they absolutely set themselves apart from all that other stuff. They were the gypsy biker, you know, they were inspired by punk and they were inspired by the Rolling Stones and they were not at all doing the kiss teased hair, you know, cock rock thing. They were doing the, you know, bluesy, you know, you know, drugged up, fucked up, you know, like they were doing a whole different thing and they set themselves up as like the leader of a whole other genre of hard rock that was going to follow along with them, but got killed by grunge. And it's a funny that Guns N' Roses is literally one of the only bands of that entire time period that survived grunge. Like they were it. I mean, you could say Motley Crue did, but they didn't. I mean, Motley Crue didn't survive when they tried, when they did their post grunge album, which was uh, the one with John Karabi, it flopped. Now it's a good album. I think Bill agrees. I mean, these, it's a good album, but it flopped completely. All yeah. of those bands were screwed sideways, except for Guns N' Roses. Because um, it was taboo. Everybody thought it was – they were – if you like those bands or if you show – and, it, and it's, it was like, like you said, I agree 150 fucking percent. Overnight, it was like you went from fucking Aquanet. People might have still had long hair, but they were probably cutting their hair. And then Flannel and Doc yep, yep. Martens fucking yep, yep. went. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not just fucking saying Flannel because they all – it literally fucking did. Like, everybody had, like, this, the grunge starter kit. And if you look back on those pictures, we all probably fucking had it. I know I did. I had Doc's. Yeah, I and, had and Flannel. Yep. Dude, yep. look – watch the video for Van Halen on the Right Here, Right Now live tour, which came out in, like, 93 – Sammy Hagar is wearing flannel. Yep. Because he had to. Because but, I mean, it was the it was the dress of the dress du jour. What what really influenced people making the change was I think the collaboration that's always been, which is MTV and radio stations. They MTV was the visual. You saw the visual. Oh shit, these guys look different. And then the radio just hammered and hammered with. Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and um, think about how many times you heard the song Plush over and over and over and over, mm-hmm. sex type thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and even like that, just underneath it all, the alternative, you know, the Jane's Addiction stuff, Red Hot Chili Peppers, which wasn't really grunge, that stuff started to, you know, people started, oh, I'm going to have some fun, but, you know, not too much fun, and, and then grunge was like, oh, we're all sad. We can't have fun anymore. <laughs> right. It's kind of true. Yeah. But I remember right. watching, I remember watching smells like teen spirit and I was in, my thing is at the time I was at that time, I, all I was listening to was hardcore music, just New York, hardcore West coast, hardcore. It didn't fucking matter. Hardcore. That's all I was listening to. And I remember watching that video and seeing a kid wearing a bad brain shirt and then see someone like flip up into the crowd. And then the mosh pit breaks out. And I was like, 
that's what I've been fucking telling people for years that I go to and they don't understand. And then when I started going to shows, I'd mm -hmm. see more and more of my friends going to shows going, ah, oh, we get it. We get it. You go there because you want to get out your aggression. You want to get out your fucking rage. And then the shows just got bigger and bigger. I, I, saw, I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers headline a tour with Pearl Jam opening and Smashing Pumpkins. And I saw that tour, the same tour in three different locations. I saw it at the Rocky Point cool. Palladium. I saw it up in Springfield at the basketball arena. And then I also saw it at, uh, in Boston. And, dude, it was just thousands of people. Like, all these people that had never heard of these bands just – Somehow it was on the radio all the time. It was on MTV all the time. And everybody looked the same. Everybody had flannel and everybody, you know, it was just, it was, um, That's because it, was a, it was a life-changing thing. Well, because the fashion, this is the one, this is the one genre where the, where the fashion as well as the music media got involved. Right. And they, they found a way to market the clothing style. Well, big, big also, uh, the movie singles, when the movie singles. Absolutely. So there you get your Hollywood, right. You get your Hollywood appeal and you can then sell that image worldwide. And right. you saw it in the malls. They changed the whole, yeah. all the stores changed as well. Not only did music stores have to remove the popular bands and switch them out. So did all the clothing. It changed. But you still had that underlying like mother love bone, Melvin's sonic youth, mud honey, that, uh, dude, get, that's great. I love all those it, bands. It didn't get as popular as grunge did because I no, think certain bands just were pushed onto people from the record labels, just from pushed the labels. and that's pushed right. through MTV and pushed through radio stations. That's what it was. It was friggin' everything. That was, that was, yeah, that's evidence of the record company machine yep. in action. And Saturday Night Live too. Saturday Night Live was the other influence. Oh yeah, because they could influence record sales by whoever right. they had on that Saturday night. Yeah, and you and saw even Smashing it, Pumpkins on there. You're like, yeah. who the hell are these guys? And yeah. it even bled over to Headbangers Ball, man. It even yep. bled over to Headbangers Ball, where Ricky Rackman had to have the grunge bands on, whether he wanted to or not. And not that he didn't, but you know, and and in those bands' defense, I mean, you know, here, you know, what's funny is like when that when all that music came out, I liked all of it. You know what I mean? But what what killed it for me, like for example, Nirvana is one of those bands where I loved. Never mind. However. The more I started, and as a music journalist, I was, I was working back then. And for all the magazines I wrote for at the time, what they would tell me, like I would say, hey, I want to interview such and such. And they started shooting me down. Any band that I wanted to interview, that my editors were like, nope, nope, nope. They kept telling me no. And so what, I started, what started to happen was I started to really, really resent some of those bands, especially Nirvana, because Nirvana kept being put up there as the band that sort of killed the sort of music that I liked and I, the bands I wanted to interview. So I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've on, honestly listened to Nevermind in probably 20 years, just because I started to resent it so much because I was like, you know, even though I liked it, I was like, yeah, but you know, you, you killed music that I loved and you basically told people that the music I loved was garbage. And it's like, and it wasn't Nirvana's fault. You know what I mean? It, they didn't do it. It was the, it was the record labels telling everybody, you know what I mean? It was, and it was, yeah, the corporate machine. Exactly. The corporate machine, MTV radio. Yep. It spits out everything that fucking, that, that has been doing it. It's crank it. Since record. It's a factory. It's got signed and they still fucking do it today. But the problem today 
is you can go, hey, go fuck yourself. I'm going to listen to what I want because labels are nothing like they used to be. 91, right? We said 91, September 24th, yep. 1991. Yep. September 29th, 91 is when that okay. video so, came So I, rem- I'm, I got to look up the date. Um, but I went to Lollapalooza one, and I went to all of the Lollapaloozas, like, except for the, like the last four. The first one was really cool with, you know, Susie and the Banshees and Jane's Addiction and then Body Cow and Rollins Man. But the second one was the grunge one with Pearl Jam. And then it was uh, Soundgarden, Ministry, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Lush was on that one, uh, and a few other bands. Yeah, that was and 92, man. That's the famous Lollapalooza, man. Right. So Grunge had already come out in the fall. And then, and then that summer, it was just pounded in your head. But remember this, though? I, uh, I always thought Grunge would have started earlier with Alice in Chains if it would have been done better. But they put Alice in Chains on that Clash of the Titans tour for facelift in 90. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that with oh, yeah. Slayer, Megadeth, oh, yeah. uh-huh. Anthrax, yeah. and Alice And people were so pissed at Alice in Chains. They're like, you should be testament. It should be testament up there. And they were throwing shit at him. And facelift is, a, is an amazing record. It's just hell yeah. The record label couldn't pair them up with it. There was nobody that they could have paired them up with at that time. Cause it was like them, mud, honey, Melvin's and a few others. And then, and then the shit broke afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even Soundgarden. They didn't break with Loud Love. They didn't break no, until Matt Motorfinger. You know what right. I mean? They were they had um, Which was Ultra what Ultra Mega OK, Ultra Mega OK, yep. and and Loud Love and nothing. Right. You know what I mean? And same thing with like Facelift did break because um, Man on the Box broke. You know what I mean? Like right. it, also, it got them some thing. popularity. Alice in Chains, Facelift. He they, how many episodes did they do with Ricky Ratman? They went to New Jersey. Oh yeah, to Action did. Park. They were. That's right. They, did they that. were so yeah. into like almost being a, f- especially Contrell and, uh, and Sean Kenny just being like cutting it up and being fun. And they were not the depressed Nirvana. I remember watching MTV and they did MTV news and there was some, there was some radio station. I don't remember which it wasn't WAF, but there was a radio station in Boston. It might've been BCN and they did a, they did like a BCN bash or a birthday party and Nirvana headlined it, but they were just, they had already done bleach and then nevermind hadn't come out. And I remember watching this footage of them, like covering people in whipped cream and throwing shit and diving off the stage. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. who the fuck band is this? And they're up in Boston. And then mm-hmm. instantaneously, like two months later, huge. And he hated metal, which is crazy because Dave Grohl is like, and Chris Novoselic, I don't think he likes metal either. So, I mean, they might like Sabbath or whatever, but Kurt Cobain fucking hated metal. He hated being lumped in with anything to do with metal. Right. This is, you know. But metal. You, you play fucking distorted guitars and heavy drums. You, you're metal. <laughs> That's it. Metal. That's but, the thing, bro. But bands. Uh, but he, just, I, he also the, had an issue with being, he said, I don't know, it, his depression was related to being forced to be a superstar when he wanted to be a, a, a creative person, not a, not a media star. It destroyed well, everything. Fuck you become a That's why he was all acting all rebellious on Headbangers Ball. You yeah, but like, I mean, but think about this. Like, and Eddie Vedder had a problem with it initially too because what happened was these bands went from playing clubs for a couple hundred people to playing a festival in front of 30,000 people. And that happened so fast that you try to wrap your head around that. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't typically happen. And that's what Eddie struggled with a lot. He was like this. I want, I expected to have a slow climb. You know what I mean? Like we Mm -hmm. play for a couple hundred people, then it's a thousand, you know what I mean? 
you expect it to be a more of a natural progression, not to go from, you know, a couple hundred people to 30,000 and realizing that th most of those 30,000 people aren't there because they love their music. They're, they're there because you're the flavor of the day and you're rebelling against that. Like you don't want to be the flavor of the day you want to have. And, and that's why Pearl Jam is one of my probably two, top five favorite bands of all time, because they still exist today. They play, they will sell out arenas of 20,000 people. And all those people are there because they love Pearl Jam and here they still are, you know, how many, like 30 years later and, you know, they built their following eventually the way they hoped to do it initially, which was, you know, it just, you know, you build and you build and you build rather than going from 200 people to 30,000 and you're just like, how the hell did this happen? But I, let me, let me say something real Sorry. quick. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I somewhat agree with Dave, but I don't agree because this is my thing. When you start a fucking band, you start playing band, you want to be famous. So I don't have sympathy for people when they become famous and they cry. Oh fuck. I don't want to be, I, you know, I don't want to be like this. You fucking were in a band. You are releasing stuff. You are playing in front of people. Why else do you fucking do it? Like when you hear about older bands, like a band like kiss or Zeppelin or fucking Sabbath or any of them, they're like, I, I wanted to be famous. I, there's fucking nothing else I was good at. So when these bands kind of like go like, like especially Kurt Cobain, I maybe I'm a dick. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. But fucking boohoo, bro, boohoo. You fucking blew up. But it took you. You did release other good fucking music. Yeah. Prior to to Nevermind. Bleach is great, dude. Yeah, Bleach that's a solid great. album. I mean, they have, and there's another fucking EP that they have. So it's like, you fucking blew up. That's what you're fucking uh, approaching. That's what you're trying to do. So when it happens, you can't go, oh, I didn't know what to do with it. Well, you should have been thinking about that, you know? It's always an, it's always out there because music is, and like Dave said, Dave hit the nail on the head. The flavor of the day is why a lot of fuckheads go to see fucking bands play. A yeah. lot of things. A lot of the fans are there, and you'll hear, oh, I'm here. This is great. Do you like so-and-so? Or people that wear band shirts. And they couldn't fucking tell you three. I, those people, I want to cut the shirt off and fucking <laughs> slap them. You're not allowed to wear that. <laughs> Just yeah, it right off. It's true, shirt. though. You got, a, you got a Pantera shirt on. All right, name me three of their fucking songs. Uh, oh, you know. Uh, walk? Yeah. Uh, or Johnny Cash. Oh, I got a Johnny Cash shirt on because it's fucking cool. All right, name me three Johnny Cash songs. And don't fucking tell me Hurt or Ring or Fire. I'm going to kick punch you, in you in the neck. <laughs> To the void, great debate. Well, you know, I, I also want to mention before we get to it and we get to our lists, um, we, you know, please stick around for anybody listening because the interview with Alex, the guy, the guy is a born orator. I mean, he is a great speaker. I mean, the guy right. is like an engaging, a super engaging speaker, and he and he really should have his own podcast just because of how good of a speaker he is and the stories he tells. He's a natural storyteller, natural speaker. And he definitely is, is, you know, even if you didn't listen to Circus of Power, um, maybe just by listening to this episode, you might check out some Circus of Power. I'm sure, you know, Greg and Bill are going to have some suggestions and, um, and listen to the interview. And I think you'll have a newfound respect for, for the band. And, you know, for anybody that didn't check out some of these bands we're going to talk about, like give them a check these bands out because you may have not checked them out just because of when they came out because they got expunged by grunge or kind of buried uh, because of when their albums were released. But that's not fair, man. 
But we all named our, uh, didn't we all name our top five bands that got kind of killed by grunge? Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. Well, not necessarily killed. I, I mean, overshadowed. At least pushed, at least pushed overshadowed. to the side. Yeah. Overshadowed by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Circus, although if you look at the list, all these bands basically stopped for a while until, and this is kind of what happened to all these bands. Like, they all kind of stopped for a while and then kind of came slowly came back once this style of music was no longer persona non grata. You know what I mean? Like they, they eventually came back, you know, Doc and got back together and Motley Crue brought Vince back. And so it's, it's, that's how you know this music is powerful because it only kind of hibernated for about three, four five years. And then it came back. So you're right. It wasn't killed by grunge. It was kind of pushed to the side for a while. So, but, um, I know, I know he's got his list. So I want to start. Why don't we start our lists here? Uh, our top five uh, bands that were pushed to the side by grunge or kind of overshadowed by grunge for a bit. So I want to start. I know he's got a list. So we'll start with Lord Gates. Lord Gates, what was your five bands that were uh, sort of expunged by grunge for a little while? I'm actually starting off number five with Circus of Power. I've always been a fan of them. Got to see them open for Faith No More and just, and just, I've, I love that band and I think they, you know, with the, they've got a, a small, only a few releases and then the new EP just came out. But I just think that they were a band that just could have been more. And I think grunge just kind of pushed them off to the side a little bit. And they're so charismatic, Charis- charismatic, yeah. charismatic and just have so much mm-hmm. intensity that they just, they just want to entertain even, you know, just talking to Alex, man, the guy's so cool. And he's like, I just want <laughs> just the music to get out to, there and yeah. to be in front of a crowd. And they've done cool yeah. stuff. Even the album four that they did where they had Nick from Queens playing bass with them. It's they're solid. They're just a solid band. That I think more people need. produced and played drums it. on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I just, people need to know about them. All right. Uh, Number four is a band that it's probably only one of the bands that I really, really got into on that third. Is it the third level of third level? It's Bullet Boys. Bullet Boys, yeah. I think Bullet Boys, especially the first record was, and they did have some mainstream uh, success. I remember seeing them on tour with, it was, I think it was Bullet Boys, Cinderella, and I think Winger. I, I think it was, that was the tour and they were amazing live and God, that guy can fucking sing, man. And yeah. I just think that grunge just went, whoop, push them right aside as well. Okay. Number three, I absolutely love this band. And I think right when grunge came about, they were done. I'm going to say wasp because wasp was you. what wasp was in my eyes huge man i loved everything they did the they had that whole alice cooper on stage you know imagery and fire and the f like a beast and the saws and but i just think that when you know their albums were amazing but then grunge came in and they just kind of yeah they still released stuff but yeah they weren't yeah holmes left the band and i think that kind of affected it all but i just think that was another band that could have people could have focused in in on more with them Um, i I do too i think they're fucking awesome kill fuck die is like amazing (laughs) (laughs) all right uh this one's a little it's not obscure well everybody knows who this is but these guys have always stood by their own and i've always felt that they were they just did the DIY the right way. But then when grunge came along, 
I don't think paid, people paid attention to him. I'm going to say Fugazi. I think Fugazi was one of those bands, did $5 shows, did amazing albums, and just were politically conscious. And then grunge came out, and they, that was it. You didn't really hear from them at all. My top one, who I love, I've been a fan of them. I know Bill's a fan of them as well. I'm going to say The Cult, because that record ceremony came out the same day that all those other fucking you know, Nirvana and all the grunge stuff came out. And it wasn't a huge album. Um, they had like two songs off of it. But then everything after that just kind of fell by the wayside. I think that they stuck to their sound and people just didn't receive it well. They didn't get it. And they were, they were that band that, man, had that awesome psychedelic sound, you know, with love. I mean, love is so different than electric. And electric is rocking. The guitar you know? always had the great guitar. Oh, too, amazing, crazy, man. The guitar. And, you know, Ian's vocals are like Morrison's vocal, you know, and they're just cool. And yeah. then they came out with Sonic Temple that was huge. That You know, they toured with Metallica and they did headlining tours and That's shit. Cool. And then that was it. Just done. So my top, my top one, uh, number one is The Cult. Nice, nice, nice. All right, I haven't heard much from him this episode, so my bad for that, especially if we haven't kicked it over to you enough. But, J-Man, give me your top five bands that kind of got kicked, kicked to the wayside by grunge. All right, so we're going to go to number five, Little Caesar. Um, nice. Wow. 19, so here's what happened. Um, they do an EP in 89. It attracts the attention of Geffen Records. So they put out in 1990 the self-titled Little Caesar album produced by Bob Rock. Yep. All right, so we know what that means. That's big money, right? Um, 1992, still on Geffen, they release, they release their, sec- their next album, Influence. Here's the issue, though. Bob Rock didn't work with them. Also, we have issues where um, this is a time when Headbangers Ball MTV rotation is huge. And people at MTV thought these guys looked too much like a gang of hell's angels so even though it was the age of video mtv's like yeah let's steer away all right um so but here's the thing they have a great release of a cover aretha franklin cover chain of fools their album is produced so well that they're ranked uh, 139 on u.s billboard 200 for the year 1990 so it's, cr- it's credible. It's a credible band with support by the label. What happens afterwards, though? Geffen starts to pull away. Great I'm going to go to number four. I'm going to go to New York City, 1987, Warrior Soul. We oh, have yeah. Drummer, great band. We have a former punk rock drummer, Corey Clark, who decides. Um, he also played in Raging Slab um, before he ended up creating Warrior Soul. He turns from being a drummer into a vocalist. 1990, they put out a record, coincidentally, also on Geffen. Okay, 1991, another album, Drugs, God, and the New Republic. They get on the Queensryche tour. Mm -hmm. So that's, you're in the major swing right there, right? Uh, 1992, they come out with another album, Salutations from the Ghetto. Relationship with Geffen starts to decline. Corey Clark's vocal about his uh, dispute with Geffen. Uh, 1994, dropped by Geffen. All right, so number three, we're going to go down to Miami, Florida. We're going to go down to start in 1988 with the creation of the band Saigon, Saigon Kick. Saigon Kick, nice. Yes. Um, they get a major release in 1990. Then in 91, 
they come out with the self-titled Saigon Kick album. But really, 1992, they have Lizard, The Lizard, which goes gold. So they're in a great standing. Their videos are in rotation. They're on the radio. They've got great hits. One, which is kind of a ballad that almost gets lumped into the hair metal ballad, even though the band itself is way heavier than, than, than hair bands. I mean, there's some down tuning. There's some really heavy chugging. Here's the issue. Drop by Atlantic, 1994, the same year as Warrior Soul. You see a trend. The same time frame. It's, pr- it's after the release of those major grunge changers, right? We're seeing labels withdraw support. We even see labels trying to direct the band saying, we don't like your album. Imagine coming with an album you've spent six months on. Check it out. Labels like, not happy. Try again. You come back either... You try again or you fight for your, you know, your, your, your position and then they drop you. So number two, New York City. Now this is a band that started in 1983, but they didn't really hit until their 1989 album, self-titled, The Band is Raging Slab. Okay, so Raging Slab was so popular at the time that in 1989 there was a bidding war between a, ma- a bunch of major labels to sign these guys. And RCA won and signed them to a multi-record deal. Um, 1989, the same year, Guitar World states that they're a blend of Leonard Skinner meets Metallica. So you could just imagine that is a that's a whole new genre right there. That's it was that Southern rock, country metal of a sort. You know, it's kind of bluesy rock. It's it's a whole new thing. What happens? RCA is not happy with the direction they go with in their 1991 recording. They withdraw support. Here's the issue, though. They're signed to a multi-record deal, so they they don't get out of it right away. They try again. 1992, RCA bails again, so they go with Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin buys out their RCA contract and puts them out on his label. And now I go to number one. 1989, out of Hollywood, California. Uh, They put an album out in 1991 on Rick Rubin's label, Deaf American. Nobody said it was easy, and the band is Four Horsemen. So check this out. There's a lot. You guys dropped some names. You talked about The Cult. Well, Haggis formed the band after leaving the band The Cult. Rick Rubin suggests to Haggis that he pick up Ken Dimwit Montgomery, Chuck Biscuit's brother, to be their drummer. However, though, the real tragedy is not the 1992 label issue. 94, Chuck Biscuit's brother, Dimwit, Ken, he dies. Chuck fills in on the recording and does some touring. As of 1996, the band's kind of much just fizzled out. An- another kind of proof positive of what happens when labels pull the support. I, I love the dude. That's great awesome. job on the background information, yeah. man. Awesome. Yeah. So very nice work, dude. And, and a great list. I love the fact that you, I mean, you came up with some stuff that makes me want to dig back into, uh, into this. Into yeah, little catalog, Caesar. So. Man. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. Little dude. Caesar. I wanna, and Dave, yeah. Dave nailed it. All these guys, there were times they've, they've had two lives. There's like maybe a buffer of five, seven, ten years. They all come back and they redo it. And some of them are still doing it today. Yeah. That war, warrior soul has a yourself. new record out. Didn't they just release a new record? They Little might Caesar have. Yeah. yeah, Little, Little Caesar still playing, still recording videos. Yeah, yeah, 2012. Singer still looks pretty much the same. Just got I me. Mean, he's got short hair now, but yeah. Nice. So let's. We're going to kick it over to our man Wild Bill. So what's your what's your five bands, Wild Bill? Um, Circus Power uh, will be my number one. Obviously, there's no secret that I fucking love Circus Power. And you'll hear us on the interview talking with Alex. Um, been a huge fan. Been. Uh, you know, influential that the, his music's helped me help me out with a lot of shit, motivated me with stuff as like a lot of the music I listen to. So 
Uh, Circus Power is my number one. No surprise on that as far as this goes. Number two is The Cult. I don't have to give a lot of backstory on that because Greg already did did everything on The Cult. Been a huge Cult fan since uh, she saw Sanctuary video I saw on MTV years ago. And that was, what, 85, 86, 85, yeah. I think. So that uh, The Cult is my number two. My number three was Little Caesar, and Jay already nailed that. So um, I got to see them play live one time, and they were they were great. They're not your typical heavy rock band or metal band. To me, they're just a good rock and roll band. Like, if you want some rock and roll with some soul and just really just good, straight-ahead, pure rock, that's Little Caesar. And um, just the singer always had great pipes. When I saw mm-hmm. him live, he sounded exactly like he did on the album. And then uh, I'm going to kick it over to Junkyard because Junkyard really – Nice. They're great. Fit. Yeah. The first time I saw them, I was it was basically, I think, an MTV thing again. And their first album, uh, Junkyard, came out in 89, did really well. Um, it was on the charts. U.S. charts, number 105. Um, on the charts when it got uh, at its highest. Had a video for uh, Simple Man um, in Hollywood, two different videos that were on MTV. I'm not sure which one was on there first. And then, and this this is what's crazy. This is why these guys fit in perfect, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 91, sixes, sevens, and nines came out um, on, on Geffen or Jeffen, however you want to say it. Their second album. After that, uh, basically, yeah, boom. They didn't release any more music again until 2000. Mm-hmm. So they had like a nine-year hiatus, and that was on Cleopatra, and that was just some some unreleased stuff and yada yada. But basically, they kind of got crushed by the shit with grunge. And my number five band, you know, this I think these guys fit in this kind of perfectly. They did release something out after, but. I think once again that was just kind of uh, reaching at some stuff, maybe some extras and yada yada. Um, there's really not a lot. I mean, you can find info on it, but the band is Badlands. Oh yeah, yeah. hell yep. yeah, Ray Gilman. Badlands. Absolutely. Got Jakey Lee coming from Ozzy, um, Ray Gillian from uh, Black Sabbath, Eric Singer, who we all know as you know, fuck, he's played with Alice Cooper, yeah. he's played with Kiss, mm-hmm. building in for other people. Eric Singer was replaced after the first album with Jeff Martin. And it's funny because you know who Jeff Martin is, right? Jeff Martin is a singer for Mr. Big. I don't know. If oh, yeah. Know. Oh, no shit. Also a fucking great drummer. So their uh, first album, Badlands, came out in 89. Fucking great. Uh, great album on Atlantic. Um, they threw some money at him. Jakey Lee. They said, hey, you got a fucking great, great sound and fucking songs. Um, I never got to see these guys live that I remember anyway. 91 Voodoo Highway comes out, which is my favorite. I like Voodoo Highway. I like them both a lot. I mean, they're both great albums, but I, I like Voodoo Highway a little bit more. Also on Atlantic. And then, once again, boom. You don't hear anything from them until 98. And then he died. Yeah, Ray Gillen died, like, um, not long after that. I mean, they toured a little bit for the second album, but he died not long after that, I think. Yeah, he left. The, there was a lot of friction. Um, yeah, between him and, and Jake, yep. He got he got diagnosed with uh, AIDS HIV in '93. He died uh, December first, '93. He died. Okay, yeah. Well, that wasn't too long after he got diagnosed then. So, but Badlands, those first two albums are fucking phenomenal. 
Right. Well, most of the bands on my list you'll, you'll hear are bands that either had only, like we just talked about, user bands that only had three albums or two albums before they were shut down for a long period of time, if not for good, but for a long period of time. So I'm going to start real quick with an honorable mention. I know Bill always laughs at this band, but there's a reason why they're an honorable mention. Is, no, enough's enough. <laughs> oh. Enough's enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. See, now here's the, here's a, that. no, so enough, the cool thing, there's two cool things about enough's enough. Number one, they're one of the only bands on this list that never quit. They never stopped. Like they were one of the bands that even though their popularity was, was waned, you know, substantially because of grunge, they never stopped recording. They, they kept functioning as a band. And the one thing I didn't even know until I did the research for this is Jakey Lee played guitar on their 2008 album dissonance. So kind of an interesting little bit of uh, trivia there, but I give them a lot of credit for sticking it out and never giving up. Um, and fly high Michelle is still probably one of my favorite bands of that entire era of music. So that's my honorable mention. Uh, my number five, I, I'm not, there's not much I can say that Bill didn't already say my number five band is Badlands. I just, I mean, I love anything Jake Ely does. Um, I, I love the two albums he did with Ozzy you know, he definitely went obviously in a bluesier direction with Badlands, but Ray Gillen was a fantastic singer. It's too bad, you know, that what happened that obviously he passed away and that the two of them had some friction regardless, but I even like Red Dragon Cartel. So they definitely didn't get the, it's funny, like Badlands is looked at as this kind of legendary band from that era and they only had the two albums, but um, that just goes to show, you know, me, again, music is timeless. So if you haven't checked out Badlands, check out their two albums. Hard to find the first one. It's not on Spotify. It's not streaming anywhere. Um, but uh, it's worth checking out. My number four, another band you guys are going to laugh at me about, but I'm going to, let me just paint this picture for you. So if Stuart on Beavis and Budhead was wearing a <laughs> trickster shirt instead of a winger shirt, then winger would not have been kind of ridiculed to the point that they were. I think winger got winger is my number four band. I think they got kind of buried for two reasons. Number one, because Stuart had a winger shirt on and number two, because Kip winger was too good looking for hard rock music. He was just, he was like a matinee idol kind of guy and they weren't taken seriously. Even when you have this guy, Reb beach, who is a freaking shredding guitar player. Um, and the other thing about Winger that you guys, if, if you haven't checked out that they they did an album when grunge came out and it's not a grunge album, but it's heavy. Um, and they never let up. I mean, they're, they have music that's come out over the last five, 10 years. That's actually pretty good. It's consistent. It's good music. I mean, they're, they're good songwriters. I do think that Winger got the kind of the shaft because they were just looked at as like pretty boys and they just were never well, taken seriously. got the seriously. shaft all right. Yeah. She's, let me tell you what, any band that writes a lyric, she's only 17. She's only 11. Hey, she's hey, all right. Gene Simmons. She's Gene Simmons right. and Christine 16. That's fine, and, uh, man. That's fine. It's Kiss. Dude, dude, Kiss, Kiss trumps yeah, everything. Kiss dude, trumps it all. Winger, oh, Winger, you know, Dave, I, I have to say when that, I saw the Bullet Boys, Cinderella and Winger, I didn't hate them. It's it's just one of those bands again that they constantly played the same music video all the time. Yeah, she's so bad. And I'm like, oh god, yeah, it's on again. Out. You got yep. burned out on them. It's on yeah. again. Oh Christ! Put some shirt. Put a shirt on. Yeah, the videos killed them. The the, the look of yeah. it all just killed them. But you know, like I said, Red Beach Leather is a, pants. Is and a, he's an insane guitar player, and that that oh yeah, that band he's good. So my number three band is a band I mentioned already, but they only had two albums before grunge shut them down. That's love hate. And yeah. I actually, I love both of their albums. I actually like their second album 
Um, even better, the Wasted in America, I even like even better than the first album, although I love Blackout in the Red Room, um, She's an Angel, um, Why Do You Think They Call It Dope, horrible video, but yep. freaking great song. Um, awesome but, live band, though, yeah, man. That and, tour with ACDC was, they were all. Yeah, they were, they were. And again, that was, they were more of the gypsy vibe, like the Rolling Stones, ACDC. I mean, they, they weren't a hair band. So yeah, those two albums are great. I like the second one. Like I said, it's a little more consistent, Wasted in America. The whole album is a little more consistent than the first one, but I love both of them. So Love Hates, my number three. That guy's Um, name was Jizzy Pearl? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's gone on to sing for uh, Quiet Riot. He was in Quiet Riot for a while. He was in LA Guns for a little bit. Was he? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah. So and then my number two is a band that's already been mentioned as well, but it's Bullet Boys. Um, yep. I like my favorite album is the one that got really honestly it got killed by grunge, which was Freak Show, which is their second album oh, that came yeah. out and came out in 1991. I saw them two weeks before Nirvana or not? No, it was it was yeah. I guess it was like two weeks before that came out. I mean, or it was shortly before Nirvana came out. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen at Toad's Place. It was the loudest show I've ever seen in a club. I love Freak Show. It was dark. It was heavy. They refused to put a power ballad ballad on it because they trying to separate themselves from that style of music. They didn't do a power ballad. They weren't looking like a hair band, and that was it. And they put out one album after that, which was Zaza, and then they were done for a long time. Um, which is again, it's the similar pattern we've heard a million times. Like they were done for years before they tried mm-hmm. to reemerge. So here's my number one. I got. I'm gonna little little uh, little jam here for you. Here's my number one. Number one is Lynch Mob. That's, yes. you know, they, of course, everybody kind of, you know, anybody that knows the music knows um, the fallout that happened between, between Don Dock and, and George. They just, they hated each other for almost the entirety of that band. They did not like each other. And, um, and the other interesting part of what happened to Dockin is, you know, what, what killed Dockin was the fighting between the two of them and the fact that they had to go on after Metallica every night on the Monsters of Rock tour with Van Halen. Yep. They said that basically broke their will and broke their spirit because Metallica was just too big and too heavy and to have to go on after them every night was just demoralizing for Dokken. And that was after they released what I think is their best album, which is Back for the Attack. Um, and they just couldn't survive it. So then George Lynch goes on and creates this awesome, to me, this awesome band. Wicked Sensation is one of my top five favorite albums from that entire time period. It's a freaking amazing album. And it flopped. And the reason why it flopped was because it was, it was like at the end of that hair era where it was like, and he didn't understand. That's why he ended up getting rid of Oni Logan because they were sitting around there going, well, why did this flop? He's looking around saying, well, who could I blame this on? The record label, I think, decided to blame it on Oni. So he got another singer for their second album, um, which didn't do any better because of grunge. And then they were, they were gone. And, you know, obviously they've come back and Lynch, I mean, I love Lynch Mob. I love almost everything they've ever done. I love almost anything George Lynch has ever done. Um, he's, pr- he's probably my favorite guitar player of all time, period. I could go on and on about George. Hopefully, you know, there's a chance we might get him on the show, but I love Lynch Mob. I still listen to Wicked Sensation all the freaking time. And I even like the re-recorded stuff. I know Bill has it. I've listened to it. It's, it's, it's a cool reimagining. I mean, I just love Lynch Mob and, and all the bands on my list. I mean, none of the bands I think any of us mentioned here today got a fair shake. And that's why I'm glad we did a whole episode dedicated to this because um, 
you know, what happened to bands like Circus of Power and the other ones we mentioned, it's just, it was garbage. It wasn't fair. And go and listen to these bands. All the stuff that we talked about today, for anybody listening to this, go check out these bands, man. They're worth checking out. This is timeless music and it's worth your time to check it out. So, um, and I can't wait for people to hear the interview with Alice. because Well, we're going to do a Spotify list for these guys too? Absolutely. So, yeah. I think it's really fun. I, like I've, anybody that's told us that, yeah, I love the fact you guys do the Spotify list. It's a nice companion piece for the episode, you know? Mm. And now, the Into the Void feature interview. Alex Mitchell, the guy is, he's, he's, a, he's basically a poet uh with his with his words and the way that he presents everything not not in a traditional fact like uh, he he references uh Charles Bukowski as 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 a you know kind of an influence and somebody that he's he's fond of and i would say that that's the way he is as far as his music and the way that he releases things you know he's he's got a very keen sense of of individualism if that makes any sense like he's he's his own per there's not That's another true. alex mitchell out You're right there. yeah no. he's very he's very um individual i mean he's he's not eccentric maybe a little bit but he alex is just a great dude so alex give him the time listen to alex listen to what he has to say about life about life as a musician about life after being a musician or, you know, like taking those hiatuses in between. Um, I don't, he never really stopped Circus of Power. They just had pockets of different hiatuses. And uh, the new music is phenomenal. So listen to him. He's as real as you're going to get. So thanks, man. Finally got you. How's, how's everything with your family? Finally good? Everything good to go? Good. Yeah, everything's good. We're going to dive in. First things first, new album came out got it love it what uh which what, one do you have you have four or the, or the ep power of illumination i'm waiting on the on the physical oh, okay i'm waiting on the physical copy and the t-shirt i think i got the oh, oh okay cool yeah right on so we're waiting on that but um so what's next for circus of power and then we'll go i don't back. know it took me like two years to get that, that done like i don't know why mm-hmm. um and then all of a sudden in the last two weeks um, I've been, I've been writing with Sharky and Billy and doing some stuff myself. And all of a sudden it seems like we have like 15 or 20 songs. So, you know, ebbs and flows of creativity. Um, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. So writing a bunch of new stuff, going to record on the 26th, lay down some tracks. Yeah. How many songs do you guys want to record? Oh, I don't know. We just, we don't do it like everybody else, man. I mean, we're far apart here uh, where we live in California. So we do it uh, in this way where we go into the studio. Like the way we made four was we sent um, Brent Bjork, uh, the guy that plays drums on it. We nice. sent him. We, we I sent him very well. He's yeah, awesome. yeah, I sent him some like voicemails of like, hey, hey, Brent, the song goes like this. And he's like, okay, great. Right on now. I got it. And, you know, some scratchy demos. And then we went in there uh, with a bunch of skeletons of, of songs. And then, and we re- recorded that whole record, did all the, all the tracks, like the drums and bass in like seven hours. And along the way, we, um, you know, just arrange it and, and do it that way. And I know it's not the way you're supposed to do it, but it came out pretty good. 
No, uh, yeah, sounds great. I mean, you're supposed you're supposed to do pre-production and all that. Like, I mean, even the even the rawest of bands do it properly. But um, you know, it's uh, for this one. We're gonna try and get together uh, in a rehearsal space and work the songs out a little more. But it came out pretty good, man. The record's pretty good. Um, uh, Brent was was great on it. Is is he's really talented? That guy, like he he just. Um, he didn't just play drums. He helped a lot of arranging and um, he's just, you know, all his fills and everything are really good. Oh, Talented guy's a, guy. Yeah. He's a fucking legend as far as Solid. And drums. I mean, shit, he's played with, you know, Caius and Fu Manchu alone right yeah. there. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, those guys, there's, there's certain places that like Seattle had that incredible um, surge of talent for a couple of years, you know, yeah. And then out in the desert with um, Nick and Queens of the Stone Age and, and all those guys, like talented people, talented bands came from that area out there in Joshua Tree. It's, it's weird how things happen. Like there's a scene in England and then there's a scene in, in New York, punk rock's happening in the 70s. And then, you know, right. it's just it's funny the way things start in different places on the planet. They mm -hmm. can't figure it out either because it's not because of well, the economy's bad here or, you know, this or that. You can never really figure it out. It just is what yeah. it is. It's just the, the flow of the universe, I guess. It is. It is. That's, that's cool. So the, the, all the songs on this new EP, did, were those kind of like, did you have a couple left over from four or were these all just, you went in and just banged out all, all these new songs? So what is there, six? No, there, we, um, it was kind of ad hoc. We recorded um, different sessions and because of the way we do it, we um, we just took out the good songs, the good parts, and then kind of redid them in the studio. With Pro Tools, you can do that. Ideally, I'd like to go in and do things like the Stones used to do, where you work things out at some chateau in, in yes. France. <laughs> yes. And you get a bunch of wine and drugs and women, and you go in and, and yeah, record everything yes. live. There you go. So, and then kind of um, some cocaine, cocaine and wine and well, not that I would do that. <laughs> no, none of us. No, 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 no. <laughs> but uh, then, and then you kind of lay it down live. If you listen to um, "Sticky Fingers" by the Stones, you, you can hear them fucking around between tracks, you know. And if you listen, if you kind of isolate uh, Keith Richards' guitar, and all, it's really loose, man. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, the songs are all together and everything, but it, at times they sound like they're falling apart and just barely holding on. It's a really uh, cool uh, sound that they have in particular. That album is just like unbelievable. Yeah. I got that. That's good. I'm glad you brought up the stones. Have you guys ever done a cover song? I don't think I remember no, but, cover songs. No, no, we're having problems with that. Like, I don't want to just do a cover so song to, um, it's gotta be right. And you got to make it your own, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, good point. So, we're trying, I was looking at Facebook a week ago and somebody had posted some things about Elvis and these two songs towards the end of his career that kind of uh, gave him a lot more credibility. One was In the Ghetto, a uh, song that Mac Davis wrote. Another one was Suspicious Minds. Mm -hmm. And somebody... Uh, Both are great. Yeah, I know. It's, wow. And then somebody texted me and said, you guys should do Suspicious Minds. I was like, ah, yeah, okay. And then I was like, wow, I know Danzig did a bunch of Elvis songs. Let me go see if he did that. And um, wasn't on his list, so we're going to try that one. Cool. Nice. There. Yeah, very nice. good. We got cool. it. We got it. We got some in. It's cool, some man. Some inside. That's it. Well, that's, yeah. that's cool. So you talked about. I'll get my karate moves and everything, of course, before I go in the studio. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
Hey, you got to get your jumpsuit. Start, yeah. start, uh, start fit, looking for jumpsuits now. Yeah. With, uh, oh, and, and the cape. I mean, and the I'm cape. not going to do it without the cape. No, yeah. no. Can't do it without the cape. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking. So we got to go. We got to go back because Florida, I, I, know, I know, and I've heard you talk about Florida growing up in Florida. Whereabouts in Florida? Because we were all around the, uh, Dave, Jay, and I were all in the Tampa, St. Pete area. Uh, I was, I moved to um, Pompano Beach from Toronto when I was 12. Okay. Which is like the biggest culture shock you could imagine. Oh, I Because um, Canada is just this great, fantastic place. But, yes, it is. But, but it's more yeah. like, um, it's just so much more, <laughs> oh, less yeah. in the, in the, than America. Yeah. Just from when you cross that border, man, from London, Ontario, into Detroit, it's like, whoa. You know, it's, yep. it's complete culture shock. Uh, in a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways. But anyway, so I was brought up in uh, Pompano and kind of started getting into music uh, in my late teens. And Miami had a punk rock scene down there. Uh, surprisingly pretty good. A small amount of people, but some good bands and everything. And then when I was 21, I moved to New York City. Nice. Oh, wow. Nice. By yourself, just said, fuck it, I'm going to New York City. Uh, no, I tell you, it was just one of the stupidest things, uh, but greatest things I've ever done. I woke up with the worst tequila hangover I've ever had in my life. Mom, I was, tequila. I was in Pompano. Perfect. I was like, New York. And I had this, I had this <laughs> shitty old uh, Ford van, like a 1970 Ford van that barely ran. And I got up and I said, uh, I said to my roommate, this, guy, this uh, bass player this guy's uh, living living with, I said, dude, I'm, I'm moving to New York today. And um, he's like, oh, okay. And I go, so if you want to come, I'm leaving like now. And I had, I remember I had like $60 on me, which back then gas that much 60 bucks to get you out of Florida, but not much further. Yeah. And I phoned some, some people in Miami and these, a couple of girls I knew, punk rock girls from Miami came with me. I put my Triumph motorcycle into the back of the van. Nice. My, my clothes, I just had really the clothes that I had was wearing jeans and a shirt and then was ridiculously hung over and drunk when I left, almost hit a semi truck getting on the freeway. And then everyone was like, no, 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 don't let him drive. Don't let him drive. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> I was just like, I'm going, I'm doing this and um, made it up there. I drove the whole way straight, like 19 hours or something like at 85, 90 miles an hour and um, got there. And it was the dead of winter. So, and freezing, like, like, you know, and I got lost when the South Bronx were like about to get killed, you know, it's like back when the South Bronx was really like a place you didn't yeah, want to drive yeah. through yeah. if you look like you were from Florida. And, um, yeah. And then I, I pulled up, uh, the van by Tompkins Square Park. I don't know if you know, New York city, went into this bar across the street, had like $10 left on me, saw somebody in there from Florida of all things, saw somebody. Whoa, Cause yeah, damn. my, uh my girlfriend's moving out tonight and you got this, this big like uh, loft over on Ludlow street. If you want it for $300, That's so much it used to cost to live in New York. Fuck. So yeah. And then, then I, I was there and I was like, everything seemed to flow. It was like, I was meant to go there, you know, once again, meant to be. Wow. And then so I met, you know, I met the bad first, first day I was there. I met the bad brains. Damn. Um, hey, I, what are you? Yeah, I know we had heard them in Florida and I remember the first time I heard those guys and I was just like, what planet are these guys from? Like yeah. no one plays like that. Ross this thing was like, guys. You know, 
Yeah, playing yeah, backflips and, um, and the crazy on yeah, stage. Yeah, I ended up amazing. I ended up getting on stage with those guys a couple of times, which is now when I look right. at it, like I was working a few weeks ago and, and some kid was wearing a bad braid shirt. I go, "You like them?" Or you know, because you know how people just wear Ramon shirts yeah, and everything. Right, right. He goes, "Oh yeah, dude, blah blah blah." And I was like, and I told him, "I go, yeah, I played, I sang on stage with HR a couple of times, and I never really thought about it." The kid goes, "The kid was like, what?" And then I, when I walked away, I was like, wow, I really did that? Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, if you've done nothing else in your life, you did that. Not bad. Yeah. Because yeah. those guys, I mean, whew, they were really good, man. And during in their prime, they were really, really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck I've yeah. talked to – I'm friends with uh, John Joseph from the Cro-Mags, and yeah. he, he just raves about, you know, going on tour with them and playing yeah. with them and being friends with HR. And then I yeah. got to meet – HR, I've, I saw them play two, three times back in the day, right after uh, I, I came out and, and quickness. And then I got to meet HR a few years ago when he did his book signing. And yes. he had just had his surgery on his mm-hmm. head. And the guy was mm-hmm. like night and day from when I met huh. him. Completely different. His wife was with him. He was mellow, chill. Right. You know, oh, blessed mm-hmm. be. And back yeah. in the day, he was just, you got him on stage, you'd be flipping, diving yeah, into the crowd and just He's an interesting guy because yeah. um, he was very, like, I didn't know much about, you know, government and the, the way society works and all those things. And uh, But I wanted to know, and the, when I was starting to listen to these bands from England and L.A. and The Clash, and, um, uh, and he was... Um, he was, he was very knowledgeable. A lot of all those guys were, I mean, um, I was from a, I was from a beach town, you know, and you, mm. you don't learn much about that stuff when you're from Pompano beach. At least I didn't. And when I met all those guys, they, 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 uh, knowledged me up on a lot of things. And, uh, but he was, yeah, very mellow off stage, but he went wild on stage, man. I mean, oh, oof, yeah. out of his way. I, I saw them, you know, 81, 82. 80, oh wow! Like, for like Rock for yeah. Light and like oh man, damn. before it came out, man, before, before that came even out. came out, yeah, right. Wow. Oh shit! I, well, I told you um, uh, the first day in New York, I was there because um, somebody said go over to this place called the Rat Cage, this record company, a little record store. It's basement. It's called the Rat Cage, and there were real live rats like running all over the place. <laughs> the guy had for pets all over the records and everything. And above that, above that was the 171 studio where the Bad Brains recorded. Yep. So, and I went up there and I just introduced myself and, you know, walked in and, and John Joseph was there and uh, Jerry Williams was there, rest cool. in peace. And the Bad Brains yep. were recording their record. And so, wow. oh my <laughs> you know, God. for me, it was a thrill because uh, one day I'm in Florida, the next day I'm like in mm-hmm. this in this recording studio, those guys are just going off. They were recording <sighs> Band in DC, I think. And I was like... Wow, life can change on a dime. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. So you went from Florida to New York. So you're in New York. What did you kind of kick around? Because I think did you have another band previous? Yeah, I had a, I've always been in uh, bands. Yeah, had a yeah. couple of things, and then I hooked up with Ricky from uh, uh, from Circus and Joey uh, played drums, and Gary Sunshine came in. That was like this, the beginnings of it. Um, and we, you know, I just wanted to get in a, in a rock and roll band. Um, we were all kind of into both, into, into rock. We were into Leonard Skinner and we were into the germs, you know, yeah. uh, to me, it didn't, mm. there wasn't really any difference. <laughs> There's a bunch of guys up there making noise on stage. Um, mm. and yeah. so, um, 
Yeah, we we started the band, and um, because at the time Guns N' Roses had started, the cult had come out with Electric. Yeah, um, great which album. Is just stomping record. Solid, yeah. solid. Zodiac Mind Warp was out. Yep. Um, yeah. Band called Raging Slab was playing in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, a good one. I, no, Love those Raging guys. Slab. Yep. Super talented, innovative band, and they became a friends of ours. We started playing with them, and um, it took off very quickly for us. You know. Um, we had a four-song demo that we made in um, Daniel Ray's basement in New Jersey, in his mother's house, and um, it had, I think it had Motor and Call the Wild, Backseat Mama, something else, forget. And, you know, we were playing these little bars in New York, and people were coming to see us, and then um, Rick Rubin saw us and um, a couple of different record companies, and then we ended up getting signed by RCA. But it was all like within a few months. It wasn't didn't right. take that long. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I went from I went from like laying sheetrock in Brooklyn uh, <laughs> to um, getting a ride, hopping the subway, not paying the fare, and getting a ride to Midtown to sign a contract. I didn't have any money, man. I was working for six bucks an hour, you know. And um, and then we got signed by RCA and got a few bucks to go buy some new shoes. We had a, uh, where Bill and I grew up in the town of Putnam, we had a little record store that used to sell a lot of tapes this is before CDs. And I remember yeah. seeing your self-titled tape and seeing mm-hmm. the cover of it Yeah, and, and looking at it and thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, that kind of looks a little bit like the, that kind of looks like the logo, you know, on the back of, uh, of Rollins, Rollins, you know, it kind of looks yeah. like this, the sun. And I, so I bought the tape and I, and I was a hardcore kid. So I listened to it and I, at first I was like, oh, wow. eh, I didn't quite get it. And then yep. you guys ended up playing with Faith No More. Uh-huh. And that's the first. And so I, I listened to it again. I was like, the show's coming up. We're going to go see him. And you, we went and saw you guys play at the living room in Providence, Rhode Island. Had right. a big, yeah. big bubble. <laughs> now, yes. I was blown away. I was excited to see you guys, and I was excited to see Faith No More. This is, you know, just before Epic, you know, before everything blew up. Mike Patton had just yes. joined the band. It's Chuck Mosley yeah. left. And I got, a quick, I got a quick story, and then I got a question for you. So my buddy got completely shit-faced, sideways shit-faced before the show, and he was huge, this big six-foot-tall guy. And I don't know if you remember, uh-huh. but the living room used to take these eight-foot-long cafeteria tables and they used to lay them on their side with the feet towards the stage, and that was the barricade. So my buddy is up, my buddy is up against the barricade like this, yeah. and you guys come out, and right when your first song ends, he throws up all over the barricade, and we were standing on the side of him, and I'll never forget what you said. Wow. You, you pointed to him, you went... You point to him and went, now that's a fucking Circus of Power fan right there. He just, wow, everywhere. That's had to great. Grab him. I don't remember that. I mean, I had a lot of oh, custom brain damage, I hate to admit it, but. But how, my question for you was with, in that time frame, you know, the 90s, you know, what was it like for you being ju- just the mindset for you to be like, holy shit, we're in a band and we're doing tours and we're getting money and we're going out mm-hmm. there. I mean, was it, was it hard to fathom it or was it, did it just come like with ease? Um, you know, in, in life, you, you're living in the moment always, mm-hmm. you know, so, and you can look, you can look back at any time and, and it, it can, looking back at at a certain time now, I go, wow, those are the best days of my life. But at the time, you don't realize that you're too busy being an asshole, you know, and you're too busy, uh, 
you know, just partying yeah. and, and yeah, um, I mean, the thrill of, for me, the thrill of meeting musicians that I loved, that was, that was something that at the time made a, a big impact on me. felt really good when I met Iggy Pop on the street in New York. Oh, wow. When I met Joey oh, Ramone, dang. when I met Johnny Thunders, when mm -hmm. I met all these guys. And really, what you're just saying is kind of a good question because I was only, when I first moved to New York and when I met Johnny Thunders, I think I was 24, 25. And then it had only been, you know, uh, eight years earlier, I'd bought their record and, and looked at the New York Dolls and, and went, oh, look at these guys. Yeah. You know, wow, this looks like a rock and roll band. And then, uh, and enjoying their music and all that. And, and um, but meeting people, meeting the Bad Brains and meeting all these people, uh, Jello Biafra and, and um, it's pr pretty thrilling. Yeah. You, you did um, a, a little while ago, you did a podcast, my friend's podcast, Mike Hill. You did yeah, uh, Metal right, Matters. Right. And yeah, my cousin, man, my man. cousin is Randy Larson, his cohort that was on there. Okay. With him. Can you tell us the story? Tell these guys a story that you told on there about meeting Lane Staley with the Etch-A-Sketch. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I was, we did some shows with Allison Chains. We had eight or nine shows booked. It was Masters of Reality playing first. I don't know if you guys have heard of those guys. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. So, yeah, they're great. Uh, Chris Goss. And, Chris and Goss. Ginger Baker. Ginger Baker from Cream was yeah. playing drums. Oh, yeah. Dang. Yeah, I got to nice. watch that guy play every night. Son of Dang. a bitch, man. That's yeah. classic. He's doing, he's doing something different with his left hand than he is with his right hand than he is with his left foot. Is with his right foot, like, <clears> separating <throat> different parts. He's just an amazing musician. And then we played, and then Allison Chains played. And after a couple shows, Lane was in bad shape at that point already, mm. and, which was a sad thing to see. Um, but we were on, and it, we played a few shows, and the rest of it got canceled because uh, what happened is uh, Lane kicked over a stack of marshals on stage. Or no, the bass player did. He was pissed off because Lane was in really, really bad shape that night. He couldn't sing. So yeah, the bass player kicked over a stack of marshals and it broke the roadie's arm. Oh. So everyone was like, okay, that's it. Tour's done. But anyways, that night we were in the tour bus with them in the back of the tour bus. And um, Lane, who they had hired a, hired a bodyguard, this huge dude to like make sure he didn't get any drugs, any more drugs. Yeah, right. Um, and, but you know the deal, dude, if you want drugs, you'll, you'll fucking get them. You will, you will climb a mountain of glass to get them. No one's going to stop you. And so we're all sitting in the back room. Everyone's, you know, music's going, everyone's sitting around, a bunch of people hanging out. And Lane puts his hand in his pocket and he pulls out his pocket and he opens up his hand and there's like 50 different, kinds of pills all different colors and uh, color in the rainbow and he looks at me and like not just head. i go no dude i'm i'm fine I'm, I'm good the way i am you know having a drink or whatever and so he puts a bunch of them in his mouth he takes one of these etch-a-sketches i don't know if we're, i'm definitely showing my age here i don't know if, no, we uh, know. oh we had them yeah we had them yeah yeah uh, it's hard to make something look good on an etch-a-sketch but anyways Lane is sitting there, and I see him messing around with this edge of sketch, and in five minutes, he gets up, and he's completely stumbling, and he hands me the etch sketch and it's a, a perfect uh, drawing of me as Jesus Christ with uh, a cross behind me and, you know, like, uh, what raised and power going out. Are you kidding but me? Anyway, serious? Yeah. It looks really like me, you know, and, and, um, and I have, like, a robe on the top of a robe. 
And I remember looking at that after all, are they? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Better the extra sketch that I didn't realize, but, um, (laughs) and then I showed it to Jerry as Jerry was like, yeah, man, that's, that's Lane. You know, that's, that's what Lane Uh does. He's, um, he's talented in that way. So, yeah. Wow. Didn't Jerry That's play cool. on uh, Magic Madness? Yeah, yeah, he played on uh, song Heaven and Hell. We did a video. That's, that's another another guy, man. Talented guy. Like, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, talent is something you don't. Is people that practice their whole life and don't get to where Jerry is. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, he just. Uh, I mean, he practiced the guitar to get to where he is. Yes, but like when I was watching them record that um, Dirt. Um, they recorded it on Hollywood Boulevard, I think in the studio that Marvin Gaye used to use in the 60s. And watching them, he would just go in and make the, you know, they had all those strange harmonies and he would just go in and do it. First take, done, you know? And I'm, I was like, wow, you know, take us days to do that. Some of the yeah. best harmonies of any band ever came from Lane. Yeah, and always I mean, people yeah. trying to imitate his vocals, man. Yeah. And Dirk was like a... a pretty wild listen to the first album then you know it's it's much more simple dirt had like seven eight time signatures on it and stuff and and just was very interesting that song wood that's from the movie oh yeah Mm -hmm. on that record just really weird it's like middle eastern and it's you know it's you're a very creative band the first album the first time i heard the first anything off of the self-title from 88 i think it was motor was motor the first one uh yeah I think so, because we were watching, I was like, it came on. I've always been into, like, the biker culture and, you know, biker stuff. And, and everything. Mm-hmm. I bought the tape at that same place Greg was talking about, that yeah. record store. And then, like, mm-hmm. for the next two weeks, man, that was in his car. That was in the tape player for the next two weeks. And then that was it, man. From there on, I was fucking, um, you know, in the Marine Corps. A really good buddy of mine in the Marine Corps when Magic and Madness came out, he can't. He comes into my room with the CD. He's like, "Fuck, dude, you heard of these guys?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" I didn't know they had a new album out because he had bought it at the PX. Hey, while we're here, man, I want to talk about something. And I never plug things, but I'm gonna plug sure. this. No, plug it. Yeah. Right. Whatever you got, man. Yeah. Nice. I heard. And now, now, what is this about? Explain this to me, because I, I. Okay, cool. In this, I'd like to. I'm gonna. I want to get it, and I want to. I want to know what it's about. Talk to me. It's your second book too, right? Yeah, I've written a couple of books. This is the this is the first really good one I've done, and um, I got a lot of great response um, about it over the last couple of months, which makes me feel great because it takes so much fucking work to do, even though it's only like 125 pages. Like that's a couple of hundred hours uh, to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to school, man. For I didn't go to college and and for to learn how to be a writer. Yeah. You know, I went to. New York. That's true. Right there, dude. Oh, Nailed the, it. The, the book true. is called Carrie Confessions to a Dead Lover. And it's about then the characters. It's a love story, uh, but not your typical one. It's got, it's got burning cars and uh, violence and extreme love and uh, emotion and crying and uh, getting arrested and, and all that stuff um, that you guys are probably familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but um, it's a it's mainly about a girl I, I know I can't that I really can't uh, say where she is or what she does or anything. But mm-hmm. it's based mainly on her and then on a couple of other girls that I've known I was in love with. 
But as I wrote the book, it, the character sort of took on her own being. The more I wrote about it, the more I wrote about this this person that was uh, that I'd sort of never met in a way um, completely. And um, I tell you what, there's some big dudes who've come up to me and said, "Hell, I haven't cried in like 30 years." I cried like 10 times over the first 20 pages. So I was like, oh, good. <laughs> nice, dude. Mission accomplished. Wow, bro. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Because when I wrote it, I cried a bunch of times. I'm not too mm-hmm. proud to say that. Um, but lots of laughs in it, too. And the way you can get it is go on to um, my Facebook page. I'm Al Mitchell, okay. Facebook page. Okay. And then um, there's instructions there. You can find out. You just pay- PayPal my uh, me 20 bucks and I send you a book basically and um, you get my email and that's that's how that works. You got a friend on Facebook. But it's a good read and uh, someone asked me what it what it's like and I said I write I write I wrote this book for people who don't read if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, Perfect. And for the, for, is for the person that usually doesn't read yeah. but, but reads the first page of this book and goes oh shit and then keeps reading and, and then you know enjoys okay. it. But if you're into, you know, Charles Bukowski and Steinbeck and Hemingway or anything like that, if you do read, that's where it's, it's, I'm, I'm not like those guys, but like I'm in that same boat or whatever with those guys in that same sinking ship as those gentlemen. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a good, a good book. And if, uh, I'll send you guys one. So just text me your info and I'll send you one. And there's, in it, there's a lot of mentions of, um, uh, of Harley's, you know, cause that's oh, yeah. the culture I've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, also, uh, music and I quote different songs and things like that. So it has kind of a rock and roll element to it. Yes. Um, nice. And, uh, you like it, man. I think it's really good. It's, I never, I've never even plugged the records I've done. I'm, it's, to me, it's kind of like, I'm not that guy. I'm not a hustler, you know? And, and yeah. I, I mean, I see people go on, I, I read a thing with Neil Young or no, I heard him on the radio and he was um, he was plugging like some new technical thing he was involved with. That I don't understand any of this shit, but that's something to do with the internet and and uh, MP3s and this and that. Yeah, and that's he was right. Plugging yeah. this thing, and I was like, you know, uh, like he just didn't sound good doing that because he's a real earthy guy. He's a cool guy, but like he sounded like you know he was on the Johnny Carson show or something, and, and was you know or or the Stephen Colbert show or something, and like plugging this thing. And it, I've never really been comfortable with doing that. It's like if you want it, Get you it. know. Yeah, come get it. I'll, I'll hook you up. But like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so proud of the book that I've, I've been inclined to start plugging it. Fuck yeah! Well, 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 yeah well, you got to, man. Okay. Especially, <laughs> especially nowadays, because this is the this is the new economy. You know, it's yeah. You telling us, and we're telling our friends, right. and people are like, "Yeah, that's what I that's what I'm into." No, you're completely right there. I mean, the new economy. Look, well, as an example, I wouldn't have written this book unless if without COVID. Because, um, it, I mean, everything's shut. I'm in L.A. Everything's shut down here, man, right away, especially what I do. I build background um, scenery for, you know, commercials and videos and movies and things like that. And that was just, like, shut down the same week. People yep. started finding out about it. Because actors and actresses and producers and all that have got money. They don't need to fucking get around people that have a virus. I don't blame them. So we got shut down, and I was like, okay, all right, all right let's pick up the uh, pen start writing. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happened. And if I wouldn't have not been working, I wouldn't have written the book because it was an everyday thing for like two months every day. Some days for four or five hours, some days for 16, 17 hours. 
but mm. every day, never missed wow. a day and never had a day where I was like, eh, you know what? I'm not feeling this. It just, it just bang, bang, bang kind of came out and um, like one big kind of flowing stream of consciousness thing. Nice. How did yeah. you, uh, how did you meet the lead singer of 69 eyes? That um, Joe, uh, our guitar player, a guy that played with us for a while, Joe Truck, uh, he's friends with those guys. He's tattooed everybody. Okay. <clears throat> I should plug Joe's shop. It's called in Sacramento. Oh, God, why am I blanking out? My brain's burnt. But anyways, if you go to Joe Truck Casher's page, okay. you can get his tattoo shop. He's up in Sacramento now. Joe knows everybody from tattooing and being a New York punk rock socialite that he is. Right. Great guy. And he was friends he with play with you guys no more, right? Huh? Joe doesn't play with you guys no more. Is Not he- right now. Our band, our band is kind of um, mercurial, you know. Um, it's guys come in, guys come out, guys go in, guys come out. Okay. Yeah. You guys look at my shit, guys go out. Guys mm-hmm. like me again, guys come back in. Uh, <laughs> like a revolving you know, but, door. I mean, I've basically, been with. It is. Um, look, being in a band's not easy, man. Um, no, it's not. When I see bands that have been together for, <laughs> for 40 years, 50 years, the fact that yeah. the Stones still talk to each other, I'm like, yeah, oh, right, 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 right. True, know? true. It's really, um, it fact, just usually doesn't laugh. And it, it usually <laughs> ends up ugly, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. A lot of times it does just because you know how to push each other's buttons. You've been around each other. Uh, it's like being in a relationship with five women at once or married to five women at once. It's just not going to work. You look at any uh, genre of music and there's just like, it seems like the old stuff is always better, whether it's hip hop, yes. rock and roll. Because it was right. real. It was real. Yeah. It was blood, I don't know sweat, what, like, tears I talked, in it. We were talking in the beginning conversation of like, why do things happen where they happen and when they happen? No one really has any idea. Why did the Ramones come out of Queens in 1974? Right. This band just knew a couple of chords. Mm-hmm. They played a shithole called CBGB's. Great yeah. shit, but still a shithole. And all of a sudden, you know, changed the face of music. Right. Um, right. And right. other things, fashion too. I mean, you don't see Elizabeth Taylor wearing a leather jacket she bought on Rodeo Drive. It wasn't for the Ramones. Right. You know? Right. They change these things. Filter into they start in the street and they permeate their way into department stores and 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 you know fashion and magazines and all that. And that's where fashion comes from and and yeah. art and all that stuff. That's and music, true. That's true. music, music, especially when MTV was at its prime. Yeah, I, I don't see why there isn't a station like that now um, that plays the old stuff and incorporates the new bands and all that. I I, I think, think it's I, I mean, think it's there because there can't be any money in it, but. They don't have people, kids. I want, I'm going to say kids because we're all adults here. I'm going to say mm-hmm. kids. Like when we were kids and we got into music, you know, uh, there was MTV and Friday night videos yeah. or, or you rent it, you rent, you know, Iron Maiden live after death, you rent the cassette, mm-hmm. but kids don't have the freaking attention span now yeah. because of this, this yeah. is instant access to everything. And that's why you're not allowed. What that is, is the opiate, the new opiate of the masses. All you got to do is take Mm -hmm. this and do that. That's why it took me three months to figure out how to get on zoom. (laughs) 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 Because I don't, I don't do all that stuff, man. I don't act. I just don't. I go on my computer to, to write. I don't have time for it. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I don't, I just, I'm not, those things are just, I'd rather not know those things. I'd rather, 
I'd rather yeah. stick to the basics, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, and you know what? Pen, pen paper, my mind, and just get well, it Well, the way I wrote the book was, I, and the way I've been writing now, I'm, I'm working on a new one too, is I write, it's pen and paper for the first, like the rough outline of the story, 20, 30, 35 pages. And then I go in and type it because things look different Absolutely. written on a piece of paper than they do typed mm-hmm. on a computer right. than they do printed out onto a page. Those three things all look really different. Right. And um, so, I mean, that's all I use my computer for is to go see the Yankee scores and, uh, you know, and, and Yankees, uh, nice. Facebook and, and yeah, people send, the guys send me songs on, on through Facebook messenger. So I'm on there working yeah. on songs sort of while I'm on Facebook. Um, but it's got, mm-hmm. it's got good things, the internet. And, and I knew when it came out, it was going to be good. And it was going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I grew up, man, I was never in the house. I was out on the street skateboarding. I was down at the beach. There were no cell phones or no computers. And it was great. I know. It was. And, so yeah. Cool. And yeah, I'm even thinking about why do I even have this phone now? I mean, this phone is great to talk to you guys. There's great things about computers and phones and all that. But I went for a, for a period a few months ago where I just left it at home. You know, well, what if the car breaks down? So what? Walk to Exactly. A- just like you would do yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Walk to a home. You know, call AAA and deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just don't be a part of that every time that phone dings. What is it? Does somebody like my book? Did somebody yeah. um, send me hate mail? Who cares? Yeah. Like, just, All right. You know, so I stopped, right. you know, I stopped uh, carrying the phone for a while. And I'm thinking about doing it again and just. Digital leash, you know, man. Like a home computer, yeah. yeah. But like carrying the phone around is just like, oh, God, just people are on phones all day long, man. I know. I don't I see know. how the work, I don't see how anything gets done in this country or anywhere around the world at all anymore at all. Because mm-hmm. I work with guys sometimes and they're on their phone all day. And I'm just like, it pisses you off if you need to get mm-hmm. something Smack it out of their hand. Put that shit. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Well, you're, you're allowed to do that in the United States. Now there's a law where you can just smack the phone out of someone's hand. Did you know that? If not, if not, there is, we should do it at a concert too. If they're standing in front of you at a concert, you can just, yeah, they don't belong at concerts. You know, you know, you know, Alex, I had this conversation with Bill a little while ago, which was, we were trying to find pictures of us when we were hanging out as kids we don't have any because nobody took fucking pictures. That's the yeah. idea. Right. Like three, we're you, carrying cameras if around. You went, no. if, if you went to a keg party, you didn't have any footage of it. No. <laughs> no. You, you lived it. You were, like Alex said, you were in the moment. Right. Right. There was no, you know, let me funny. capture the moment. It's the moment. I recently went through like a bunch of, uh, just, you know, one of those things uh, at home and I got done with the book. I was like, ah, might as well go through, clean out the old stuff and throw it out. And I went through the old boxes and we did take a lot of pictures growing up. Right. Um, I had a huge, big family and, and, um, and my, and my father, my, my father's side, he had nine brothers and one sister, you know, old Scott, old school Scottish style, you know, and mom, the same thing. So tons of cousins, mm-hmm. tons of visitors all the time, the house filled with, with, you know, partying and people, you know, having fun. And we did take a lot of pictures and I, I was going through all those pictures just going, wow. You know, and even in Florida when, um, you know, one of us would get a, a camera and take all the pictures like at the punk rock shows and everything. And now those pictures are, are so valuable. I have oh, a picture yes. I posted yeah, on my point. Facebook page of uh, Johnny Depp. Uh, I was in a club in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. You, yeah. Oh, yes. Tell us about it. Tell me. Oh, Johnny was, you know, Johnny was, uh, you know, a guy from Miami that hung out on the scene down there. 
Yeah. And I, I didn't even notice it until I looked at this picture because a bunch of my friends, so some of them had died, really great friend of mine, that picture has passed away. And, and then I looked beside him and Johnny Depp's standing there at the bar. And I'm like, wow, Johnny. Oh, and at the time, I, I, I have to say, Johnny was better looking than any girl in the bar at that time, too. I was at Johnny's house in Florida uh, 15 years ago or something like that. Of course, it's like one of those houses, well, one of his houses, and it's a huge, um, gigantic house, gigantic yacht. And I know people that are friends with Johnny, um, and he's a good guy. I mean, yeah, he's been involved in some shitty things with, uh, apparently with the woman and blah, blah, blah. But the guy's charitable. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that from a personal experience. A friend of mine, he sort of, um, in the old days, like Michelangelo and all those guys, they would, you would need to have a sponsor because you didn't, like, there weren't, like, galleries where you could show your Sistine Chapel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you were funded by these big families. That's how artists lived back then. They had a, they had a, a benefactor. And Johnny took a friend of mine and who's an up-and-coming artist, and broke, and he did this great thing. He took him down to this place that Johnny has downtown. He owns this part of the building, this beautiful building. And uh, well, first time I went down there, Tim Burton was there, you know, and like the whole oh, bit. Sweet, yeah. And um, he takes him down. There's a great story. My friend's broke, you know, and driving an old Celica or something, you know. And Johnny goes, Johnny saw some of his paintings, and so he said, come on over. So my friend goes over, and and it's a big, big mystery. All these people are Johnny. So they're filming everything, you know, reality's kind of vibe. And he takes my friend downtown and walks him up into the, up in the penthouse. He's got the top floor, right? Of this, this of this uh, building, one of the most beautiful buildings in LA. I won't say which one. And he walks my friend in and canvases have been set up around this, the, the first floor of this loft and a couple thousand dollars worth of um, paints and everything, and he goes, this is where you paint. And my friend was like, my friend that was like crying, man. My friend was yeah. like, why are you doing this? Because, cause, man, I, I, I got lucky in life, you know, and, and I, I think that um, I want to pass on that, you know, I want to pay that forward. And uh, he took a like, bunch of big wad of cash out of his pocket and said, my friend, you know, don't, you're not working for a while. You're going to stay here and you're going to paint every day. You're going to be a painter Damn, every wow. day. You know, you're not going to worry about your phone bill. You're not going to worry about this and that. You're going to paint. Mm-hmm. I just always thought that was just like, and you know, you'll, you'll never hear about that. Um, but sure like, yeah, yeah that's a good thing. And, and um, I think for people that, that have money and they've gotten lucky enough to have an incredible career and all that for them to pay it forward, a lot more of that should be done. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I got two questions, Al. First one. Um, okay, because my ass is starting to hurt. Yeah, there you go. I'm, Mama I'm Tequila. The, the Mama table. <laughs> right, Mama Tequila about? Was it about anybody I, specific or was just, it's just a, my, uh, uh, Gary, my favorite song? So Yeah, I like that one too, man. Gary, um, our guitar player, um, I should plug his stuff too. Gary Sunshine Music. He's putting out, he's putting out these solo records now that are good. Um he phoned me up one morning and the girl that lived above him had called him and she said, what did you do last night? He goes, she's like, Oh, mama tequila. And he goes, Oh, I like that. And he, he wrote the riff and, and uh, I went over later on the day and, and we put it together. Awesome. Yeah. It's a fucking one of my favorite songs. And why is it so fucking hard to find a circus of power shirt? Holy shit. 
<laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, well, you know what? I should get some made up. Um, you yeah, mean the old ones? a hundred bucks. The old ones you were talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I should get some of the printed, but the ones with the sun on the front, the, yeah. the Vices one, too, the Vices yeah. cover. I'll yeah. get and some printed even up. The, even the, um, the Magic of Madness ones. They have Right, those. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're hard to find. I mean, look, we're just a little band, you know. Um, hopefully that we find some success so we can do all these things, you know, make all kinds of cool merch and everything like that. Right. So that's what we're doing. We've we got the process of illumination coming out and uh, recording new stuff and still banging at it, man. It's 2020. Started this shit with this band in 1986. Mm. So um, I'm not doing it because it made me rich. I'm doing it because I love it. <laughs> anyway, my, my phone is starting to overheat, guys. I got to go. All right. Well, we'll let this you morning, go. Thanks. Thanks. Morning, Alex. Up, phone is warm and it's about to shut off, which I've never seen before. Oh, yeah. shit. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, thanks Alex. Al. We appreciate everything, man. Um, awesome. We'll send you our email so we can get the book. We'll buy the book. Right on. So, but um, new this album. This is great. All heard it. Uh, I think almost all of us bought it with the T-shirt. Yep. And we'll let's definitely get back have you on again. Yeah, let's get back after we make the next release. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Sweet. Have Thanks, Alex. Great night, man. Mama Tequila. Mama Tequila. That concludes this episode of the Into the Void Music Podcast. For more information about Into the Void, visit their Facebook page or email into the void music pod at gmail.com. Into the Void is Dave Manick. Lord Gates, Wild Bill and J-Man, and is produced by Dave Manick for Manic Panic Media. We'll see you next time as we venture into the void. Ooh, my body.